Hello and welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. Today our care pastor, Gene Beckner, will deliver a message about Jesus' conversation with a rich young ruler. During this podcast, Gene will focus on Matthew 19, 16 through 30, Mark 10, 17 through 31, and Luke 18, 18 through 30. So go ahead and open up your Bible to follow along. You can also find our weekly message outline and other resources on our website at brookwoodchurch.org or on our Brookwood app. So who wants to go to something greater? Yeah, amen. I want to welcome everybody this morning, uh, whether you're a first-time guest or whether you're a member or an attendee, on behalf of the staff and all the volunteers who work here, we're glad that you're here. And uh, I want to pray for us before we get started, and uh, let's see what God has for us today. Father, thank you for uh, our time here today. Lord, I pray that you will indeed show us something, take us to a place that is greater than ourselves. Father, give us eyes to see you, give us ears to hear you, and give us a heart that is available to you. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. So for those of you who are new, we are in this book, but even if you don't have it with you, we will be able to help you uh, follow what we're doing today. Um, You know, I always enjoy sharing the word, and, and when I got the topic, I wasn't as excited. Because it's, uh, it's tough. But as God often does, he showed me a side of himself that I had not seen before. So uh, we're on page 174, and the reading is 149, which is Jesus and the rich young ruler. And this is one of those stories that I think is, is often quoted, but it's misunderstood, and I think it's misapplied. Yes, it, it deals with wealth. Uh, but there's so much more that goes into the story than just uh, somebody that's rich that has an encounter uh, with Jesus. And we're going to talk about three different choices that are made. The rich young ruler makes a choice, Jesus makes a choice, and the disciples make a choice. And so ultimately, you will also have choices to make today and beyond. So let's take a look at, at what truths are there for you and for me today. We're going to start with Mark 10, 17 at the top of 174. As he was going out on the road, a man, Luke calls him a ruler, ran up, knelt down before him, and asked him, good teacher, what must I do? Matthew says, what good must I do to inherit eternal life? So your first feeling is the rich young ruler asked Jesus sincerely. The rich young ruler asks Jesus sincerely. So in this story, Jesus is is actively doing ministry. He's on the road. There are people around. And so for the rich young ruler to get his attention, he kind of has to get in his face. And what I think is noteworthy about this is the fact that this is a ruler. And the text, uh, when I dug into it, it lets us know that a ruler was probably someone who was a religious leader of a synagogue. It's possible he was a judge, but what we know is that he is of some social status. He has, uh, you know, gone through the ranks. He's young, though, so obviously he has some talents, he has some abilities, and he is in broad daylight in front of everybody 
And it's not just that he kind of said, hey, Jesus, can you come over here? He gets in Jesus's face. He gets in his way. So Jesus has to address him. He has to stop. So I think it's a fair assumption that this guy is sincere about wanting to get some help or an answer or a question asked. So here's my question for you. How do you approach Jesus? Uh, do you approach him sheepishly, kind of to the side? Is he a last resort? Or do you even approach him? Maybe you just figure out your problems on your own. So on your outline, there's another question. How do I ask Jesus? And maybe as we go through the, the, our time today, you can say, God, how do I approach you? And see what he, he gives you. It may be different based on the issue that you have, but how do you generally approach the Lord? You know, obviously this guy wants Jesus's attention. This man is on his knees. And, you know, to me, if I let that sink in for a minute, that's, that's pretty submissive. That's, that's needful. That is seeking. And he appears to give Jesus much respect by calling him good teacher. In fact, the text capitalizes it as a proper noun, kind of like a doctor or a president. So he's, he's doing all the right things, it appears. But he definitely wants Jesus's attention. And in the first services I was talking about this, it came to mind, my youngest, when she wanted my attention when she was little, and if you have young children or you had them or you have grandchildren, if they really want your attention, what do they do? Grab my, she would grab my face and hold it. And at first it felt really cool. I'm like, wow, you know, she really wants my attention. Then part of me was like, uh, I must have not been doing a good job giving her attention if she's having to do that to get my attention. But if anyone ever did that to you, what do you think you would do? You think you would be like, wow, this person really needs my attention. I'm going to give it to them. And Jesus is, is no different. But it's interesting that Jesus doesn't focus on that. He focuses on the fact that the rich young ruler called him good. This guy's saying, hey, what, what do I need to do to inherit life? I'm, I'm going to give you a compliment, Jesus. I'm going to call you good. Anyone ever take a self-paced class where you, you get the course outline? I had an astronomy class one time, and I remember looking at it and panning down and going, okay, that's what I got to do to pass. Then I looked up and said, well, that's what I got to do to get a B. And then just for fun, I looked at what I had to do to get an A. Of course, this isn't class, but he's trying to find out what the answer is. How many people are trying to find out what the answer is? You know, you're dealing with a problem. You want the answer. But this guy's got a really serious question. He's trying to find out what the answer to eternal life is. But what does that mean? What does inherit? It's, it's interesting that he uses the word, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? You know, inheritance is usually what is passed down from parents to children or grandparents to children. You know, it's kind of your right to get an inheritance. And this would have fit with, with the Jews' mindset that because they were Abraham's you know, kids or grandkids or great, great, great grandkids that because of who he was, they would get eternal life. And Jesus has already talked to the Pharisees about that several times as we've gone through this, this study. 
But obviously the rich young ruler must think that that's not enough or he wouldn't be asking this question. So why is he asking the question? Maybe he's just not sure. He needs assurance. There's nothing wrong with being assured of something, right? It's interesting though, who did he not go to? He's a religious leader and he didn't go to the other religious leaders. He didn't go to the people that would have told him what he wanted to hear. He went to this guy that's, you know, kind of a renegade a little bit, right? He's going to someone that's kind of on the outskirts, but there's something that's in this rich young ruler who's going, I've got to see what this guy, Jesus, has to say. Paul and Timothy in Philippians 2, 12, tell us this about looking for reassurance. Dear friends, you've always followed my instructions when I was with you, and now that I'm away, it's even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. Other translations say, work out your salvation with what? Fear and trembling. So the question itself is fine. And maybe today you are having doubts as well. Have you asked Jesus what you must do to inherit eternal life? Romans gives us clear instructions about eternal life. Romans 10, 9 says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you, put your name in there, Gene will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you're made right with God, and it's by openly declaring your faith that you're saved. Notice in verse 9 the word believe. The word believe means to entrust with the care of. So who are we entrusting eternal life to? Ourselves? Our own actions? Who our grandfather is? Where we grew up? The church we attend? Some of us act like it, but it's Jesus. And look as we continue. In verse 10, the word changes from believe to believing. And this, this describes an ongoing entrusting, a relationship. So the essence of eternal salvation is basically don't stop believing. And if you're from the 80s and you thought journey, yeah, I knew. <laughs> Tom Brown, wherever you are, that was for you, buddy. But the rich young ruler is close. He's saying, what do I need to do? But he's really kind of focusing on outward things. And Jesus, as we will see in a minute, wants to go back inside. And that's what he wants to do with us too. Your second fill-in is Jesus answers him or answered directly. Jesus answers directly. As I said earlier, Jesus starts to address this idea of being good or this, this use of the word good. And in Matthew 19, 17, he says, why do you ask me about what is good? Luke 18 says, why do you call me good? Only God is truly good. Seems like a pretty innocent word. It's a pretty common word, good. Yep, that one too. We say it all the time. I bet several hundred times today in the concourse, this conversation has occurred. Hey, how are you? And the answer is, 
And then you turn around and say, how are you? And they say, good. I just wish one time someone would ask me that so I can say, I need to tell you everything that is wrong instead of good. I'm gonna be honest with you. You got 30 minutes? Let me tell you about the rashes I have, about how my kids are acting, how my finances. But we usually say good. And we do it all the time, right? How'd you do on the test? I did good. How you feeling today? I feel okay. I feel good. How was your trip? How was your vacation? It was good. But see, the Jews were very particular about this word. They only used it as it related to God. And Jesus is bringing that to the rich young ruler's attention. And the rich young ruler would have been well-versed in this concept. And I don't want to get into, uh, you know, the, the rich young ruler's intentions. He could have been trying to butter up to Jesus. He may have known that he was divine. We don't know. But we, all we know is that he asked, hey, what do I need to do to inherit salvation, eternal life? And Jesus starts off by saying, well, why are you calling me good? Because Jesus could have said, yes, I'm divine. I'm God. I appreciate you recognizing that. But as Jesus always does, who does he give glory to? God. Humble. He says, no, there's only one who's good. Only God is truly good. And the rich young ruler was probably like, huh, not the response that I was expecting to hear. And this conversation continues. Matthew 19, 17. Jesus says, if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. Okay. Rich young ruler goes, great, which ones? Jesus says, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, don't, don't bear false witness. Honor your parents, your mother and your father, and love your neighbor as yourself. Of course, that's not all the commandments, but what do you notice about those commandments? What do they all deal with? What's the common topic? You can guess, it's okay. Me and someone over here said it. Others. It's about relationships, right? And the rich young ruler was probably like, hmm, I think I got that. I mean, most of us haven't killed anybody. Most of us don't lie much. We try to honor our parents. My in-laws are here, so I'm going to honor them. Give yourself a score real quick. How do you think you do on those? Don't tell anybody, but score of zero to 100. 100 mean you do it perfect. Zero, you're not even on the board. And the rich young ruler responds pretty well. He's feeling pretty good about himself. He says, teacher. Notice he didn't say good this time. I have kept all these from my youth. And he's young as it is, so I mean, how long has that been? But look at the next part. What do I still lack? I've checked those off my list. I've done those. But something's missing. I still lack something. 
And he's, and he's honest enough to ask Jesus that question. But why does he keep asking him? See, he's kept the law as far as the law has been given to him in this conversation. But here's the problem. The law doesn't save you. Legalism is not a savior. What the law does is the law shows us our need for a savior. Here's the thing. You cannot be saved by God until you know your need to be saved. And people go, well, duh. But the law does a good job of saying, here's the expectations. And then you go, well, that's impossible. Nobody can do that. Right. That's why we need a savior. Because if keeping the law was all we had to do, then we don't need Jesus. Jesus would have come just to give everyone the Ten Commandments and remind them, hey, this is what you need to do. But he didn't. He came to fulfill the law. Ultimately, the law shows us our need for the Savior. But too many of us pride ourselves on keeping the law, just like the rich young ruler. Okay, how'd you score yourself a minute ago? Don't, don't say it out loud. Anyone put perfect? Okay. Paul, it's a little lengthy script here, but I want to I put it up here. Paul says something in Philippians 3, 3 through 10, which I think really hits the heart of what we're dealing with in this moment. This is what he said. He says, we rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort, though I would have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel. I'm a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. He gave himself a perfect score. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. Paul was transformed on the inside. He gave himself a perfect score. He kept all of the 600 plus rabbinical laws. He had the pedigree, for lack of a better term. But something happened when he met Christ and he changed. And he says, look, all that stuff is garbage compared to knowing Christ. He made a choice. He made a choice to count knowing Christ as the most important thing 
in his life, experiencing Christ. So there's the question for you. What's the most important for you? Is it people thinking that you know Christ or truly knowing him? Is it everybody else thinking that your family is good? Or is it really being honest before God and saying, hey, I'm broken and I need you and I can't do this on my own? Are you hanging your salvation or your eternal destiny? Is it, is it hanging by your righteousness or by Christ's? The rich young ruler had asked Jesus the question, what do I still lack? Will you ask him the same question today? This is probably the most important part. So if you, if you tuned me out after hearing, don't stop believing, then focus back in. Mark 10, 21. Then looking at him, Jesus loved him. No words. Put yourself in the young man's shoes for a moment. You know what that feels like. You know what it feels like to know by the look in someone's eyes that you're loved. See, he had asked Jesus a very important question. Eternal significance. What do I lack? This is awesome. Jesus' response is to just look at him. And that look says, I love you. Put your, put your name in there. Gene, I love you. He didn't answer the question. Some of you are frustrated because you're like, he didn't answer the question. I have a question. And the answer is, I love you. Doesn't matter how you feel. You have to respond to that in some way. There's a response from you. Some people are like, shame. Jesus looked at me? I, I can't. I can't handle it. I'm, I'm unlovable. I'm not good enough. I'm worthless. Nobody's ever loved me. Maybe you're angry at him. I don't want God looking at me. I don't even believe that there is a God. So you're telling me that he's looking at me? I don't believe it. No one's ever looked at me like that. Or do you know him? And you welcome that look. Because that's exactly what you need. You need to be reassured that you're loved by him. Okay, taking a chance here, but I believe in you. There's an old hymn that came to mind as I was studying that I think could be our response this morning, and I would like to sing it. We sang it in the first service, so I know it's possible. And, the, and when the lyrics come up, you'll probably be familiar with it, okay? So I need you to carry me because I'm not a singer, but I will start us, okay? Turn your eyes. Thank you. 
Amen. Good job. You guys did a great job. Brantley, there's your next choir rehearsal right there. But look at those words. If Jesus is already looking at you and loving you, this can be your response. But there's a choice. There's a choice to turn your eyes to look at him. Going back to the story of my daughter, my youngest holding my face, I wasn't paying attention to anything else, nor was she. And whatever the question was, I'm sure it got answered. But what happened in that moment when her daddy gave her attention and gave her the time? I think, it, I think there's a lot of value in that. And today, I still think there is. So Jesus is looking at this young man. Jesus is loving him. And then Jesus answers him with words. Mark 10, 21 continued. He says, go, sell all you have and give to the poor. And then you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. What? If you're a baseball fan, that was a curveball. That was a breaking ball that made your knees crumble. This wasn't what I was expecting to hear. You were just loving me. We were having a moment. You loved me. I felt all warm and fuzzy. And then you told me, go sell everything I own. Yeah, Jesus will do that. He'll look at you. He'll love you. And then he'll tell you something that's difficult. Why did he say this? Why did he say this to this man? This man is on his knees in front of Jesus, in front of everybody, risking ridicule. Because Jesus knew what was in the way. See, wealth is not the problem. In fact, God gives us the ability, it says in Deuteronomy, to create wealth. The Jews believe the same thing, Deuteronomy 28, that if all would go well with you if you would obey God. So wealth wasn't the issue. It was the place that wealth played in this young man's heart. See, this young man had no problems abiding by the previous commandments. He had those things down. His relationships, at least in his own mind, were fine. But this, this would require something of him. This would require him to look in and go, huh, how do I really feel about my wealth? How do I feel about this? This is, this is a hard message. So let me ask you, what's Jesus asking you to go and sell? You're like, that's easy. I, I'm not wealthy. I'm not selling anything. Okay. But what has he been reminding you about? What's that thing that's kind of nagging at you that won't go away? I mean, you distract yourself. You, you get busy and you do other things. But when it's just you and you're quiet, it's still there. It's kind of gnawing at you. And you know he's talking to you. You know he's revealing these things to you. But you just don't want to to deal with it. Maybe it's not wealth. Maybe it's a relationship that's in the way. Maybe what your kids want drive you more than what God wants. What does God want 
of me? Maybe you haven't asked the question. Maybe you're just assuming. What does he want from me? What, what is he asking of me? When you ask that question, he will look at you, he will love you, and he'll be direct with you. And you'll know. It may take time. His time is not the same as ours. But God's desire is for a relationship with us where there's nothing in between. And if there's something there, he'll reveal it. But he'll look at you and he'll love you first. Isn't it easier to do things when you know you're loved by someone? Because there's just some trust there, right? So on your feeling, Jesus is answering me directly about what? That may not come today. That may not come during our time. But it may come later. What is he answering me about? And he's being direct to me. And now the rich young ruler has a choice. He has a decision. And he makes it. Matthew 19, 22. When the young man heard that command, and it was a command, it was not a suggestion, he went away grieving because he had many possessions. Luke says he was very rich. Before you judge him too harshly, hear me out. He made an eternal decision. Jesus looked at him. Jesus loved him. Jesus spoke directly to him. And when he heard what Jesus said, he left Jesus. Some of you have left Jesus. You're here. You might even be in a small group. You may serve. You might tithe. You might be praying. You might be reading your, the Bible. You might be going through this. But you left him. And it doesn't feel good. And you're not sure about how to get back. Today is that day. This moment is that moment. Because now the rich young ruler has become you and I. And Jesus is still saying to all of us, come, follow me. See, Jesus is not expecting you to lead. He's not expecting you to figure it out. He's saying, come, I've figured it out. You follow me. Not you doing something and then saying, God, you, you got to help me here. You got to fix this. God may not want to fix it because if he does, you won't ever come back to him. He unequivocally wants it to be him and him alone. And Jesus is aware of what this is doing because look in Mark 10, 23. Jesus looked around. I can, I can see this moment. This guy could have eternal 
life with Jesus. And he walked away in front of everybody. One translation says that Jesus followed the rich young ruler with his eyes as he walked away. In this one, it says he looked around and he said to his disciples, how hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. See, Jesus is being direct with the disciples as well, not just the rich young ruler. And this is challenging to them. Like I said before, from Deuteronomy 28, this idea of wealth was equivocal, you know, it was on the same level of, okay, you're fine with God because he's blessed you with all this money. He's blessed you with, you know, cattle and he's, and he's blessed you with houses and everything else. But what Jesus is saying is, are you trusting that more than me? You know, people like Abraham and David and Solomon were very wealthy and they had issues, but it wasn't financial. They possessed wealth, but wealth didn't possess them. And so as a result, the love of money is what causes the problem. The relying on our finances and our wealth instead of Christ is the problem. The third fill-in was this. The disciples responded desperately. The disciples responded desperately. As we pick up in Mark 10, 24, the disciples were astonished at his words. Again, Jesus said to them, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Then they were even more astonished. Matthew says they were utterly astonished and saying to one another, well, then who can be saved? Astonished means to strike with panic. Anyone ever been in a car wreck? There is no time to respond. It just happens. And you're astonished. You get news that a loved one has passed away or that a loved one has been in an accident. Or, or you get a bad report from the doctor. It's like being punched in the nose. The disciples were astonished. They had been with Jesus for two plus years. They were still learning, but they were scared. What if everything they had left, their family, their friends, their vocation, what if they left all that and it was impossible to get into this kingdom of heaven? You ever felt that way? Felt like you kind of sold out to God and all of a sudden now things are looking a little fuzzy? You hear some things, God's responding to you in a way that you're like, man, I don't know if it's going to work out. The problem is, is that they're basing their ideas on man-made things. They're putting their trust into wealth. They're putting their trust into things that could happen on this earth that would give them that assurance. So basically, Jesus is going, look up. Look at me. 
but we need to start looking up. We need to look heavenly. This is why he uses this, this phrase about an uh, eye of a needle and a camel. You know, there's some debate. Some scholars think, you know, that there's these gates, these places where, you know, going into a city that if you're riding a camel, the camel has to, you know, get underneath it. I don't, I don't think so. I, I agree with some other scholars who believe he purposely said this, and this is consistent with some of the other things he said, to let them know, hey, if you're trusting in wealth, it's the same thing, and you think that's going to get you to heaven, you think that's going to give you eternity, it's the same thing as taking a little needle and trying to put a big old camel through it. It's not going to work. And then he says, he continues in Mark 27. And again, he's looking at them. With men, it's impossible, but not with God. Because all things are possible with God. All. If you're like, well, I don't know. If you are a born-again Christian, if you, as Romans 9, 10, 9 has said, and you've believed and you are continuing to believe. Just reflect where you were before you knew him. If you don't know him today, the fact that you're here this morning is his love towards you. That in itself is a miracle. So when Jesus answers me, this is on your filling. I respond blank. And you might say, well, sometimes I respond well when he gives me what I like. But just be honest. When Jesus is answering me directly, how do I usually respond? And you do respond, by the way. No response is a response. So are you in a challenging place today with Jesus? Have you pursued him only to find that the answers are kind of tough? Have you walked away like the rich young ruler did? Maybe something's in the way of the relationship between you and Jesus. Maybe you need to change your focus from the man-made answers that you've been following to godly answers. Doesn't matter where you are today. A response is required. And you will respond on the inside. We're going to have counselors down front. Counselors can go ahead and come. And there's an, there's an invitation time. But before that, just asking you for a moment to sit quietly with God and just ask Him, what do you want me to know about this? If you feel led to, to come and speak with someone, you can. But you can also do that in the privacy of your seat. So what will your response be? I'm going to pray for us. and As you leave today, again, counselors are here to talk with, as well as the Care Connection Room. But I pray that the seed that has been planted in all of us today will grow so that our relationship with Jesus is 
that much closer. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for looking at me and loving me and answering me. Father, sometimes what you answer me with is difficult. And with my own strength and my own resources, it's impossible. But with you, it's not. Father, I pray that as we leave from here today, that what we've heard, what we've experienced, will stay with us. Father, I pray that seed will find good soil in our hearts. And we'll be able to testify about what you did today in this moment. Thank you. And it's in your son's precious name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Have a good day. Here at Brookwood Church, our desire is to assist you in pursuing a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience transformed life. You can learn more about our church by visiting our website, brookwoodchurch.org, or by checking out our Brookwood app. Thank you so much for listening, and have a blessed week.